and welcome to this week's episode of Battling with Business with me, Gareth Tennant. And me, Chris Kitchener. And this week's podcast is not sponsored by a drink, unlike other episodes, but we have a very nice bag of jelly babies open in front of us. So Gareth, remember not to rustle the bag as you reach for a jelly baby. I will do that. So this is a slightly... I was going to say unplanned, but we did talk about it, but an unexpected one. So th those of you who have heard us talk about that we record in Gareth's uh, office when we do this, the implication is we live quite close together and uh, therefore we do associate outside of these podcasts. And so this weekend we did an activity together. We did. And principally it was an activity for my young sons. I've got a 12-year-old son and a 15-year-old son who is very keen. But I think, Gareth, before we reveal what it was, I think it's fair to say you were both curious and in some ways quite excited. Uh, yes, and a little bit sceptical. A little bit. I think. He didn't say that before he excitedly no, but... agreed. So come on then, Gareth, share with people, what did we do yesterday, Gareth? We spent a day airsofting airsofting mm. so well before we before we get into the skepticism and the the results unbelievably there may be some people who don't know what airsofting is so perhaps perhaps you should give a quick 101 on what airsofting is so airsofting is i described it to a friend of mine today as a combination of uh larping and paintballing oh, this this could go on all evening because you have to explain what laughing <laughs> so is. laughing is live action role play okay so for listeners that are aware of role-playing games such as dungeons and dragons and other fantasy type things laughing is like a level beyond that where you not only talk about your character you go out and dress up as your character and meet other oh, people i in see where you're going with this so no i've never done this um, but it is something I'm aware of. And yeah, I can definitely see the relationship because airsofting is principally a load of people running around a field shooting at each other with air compressed weapons that fire plastic pellets. There's a lot of people who spend a lot of money on bits of equipment to be better, but I think also to look the part. Well, let, let's come back to that. So I'll, for those of you who are lost by LARPing and Dungeons and Dragons, actually, sadly, I'm not, I can't claim to be one of those, but if for most people, they're very familiar with paintballing. And then th this is, as Gareth said, very, very similar. So it's, it's, there was, I think a hundred people were there yesterday, two teams. And in those teams, you, you, you play various games that typically involve flags. But ultimately, uh, what you really do is you run around and you shoot people with these little little plastic bullets, uh, which are, if anyone's interested, far less painful than paintball, because that seems to really hurt. No, I was quite surprised by that, actually. I, I had envisaged it being more painful and therefore slightly more realistic. Look at that. Look at paintball. You can tell these are two grown up boys who are excited about running around with guns, making noises, Perhaps slightly more embarrassing is one of them actually does that for a living. That's different. So I'll I'll give my little sort of bit of colour to it as well to sort of paint the picture. And by the way, I think before we go any further, it's really important to say I, I think both of us have a healthy respect for this, both the people who do it and the activity as well. So yeah. if at any point we're sounding facetious about it, please don't think we are because we're genuinely not. Um, so I remember 
the first time I did it was last year with my son. I think it was part of his, he said he wanted to go do it for his birthday. And we turned up at the front gate and there's a big queue of cars, which in a sense, that was my first surprise, but there were so many people queuing to sort of play. But the second thing was the moment they all arrived and all the cars parked in this sort of small car park, all these folding tables appeared, which struck me as slightly odd. And then all of a sudden, honestly, it was if some special forces unit had descended on this field in Banbury and all these, these obviously airsoft weapons, but equipment and radios. And I think it's fair to say we even saw an NVG kit yesterday, which yep. is very odd because it was daytime, but some very, very, I was going to say serious people, lovely people, community of people, but as you had indicated, actually take this quite seriously, you know, mm. while footballers might spend lots of money on season tickets for their favourite football team, it feels like sort of the, the typical airsofter, this is their hobby and they, but, you know, they invest a lot of money in it. Absolutely. So I think it's worth exploring why I agreed to do this with you. Coming from a, a military background, I was somewhat sceptical of the whole concept of airsoft. I've played paintball before on, you know, stag dudes and thoroughly enjoyed it as a, a fun day out. But I've always found the idea of airsoft where, like you say, people take it quite seriously or certainly appear to as slightly odd. Coming from the background that I come from, it almost appears to be people trying to replicate being in the military and so there was a, a slightly surly approach I took I think to assuming things about the characters that would be taking part and I was pleasantly surprised. Can I just say this is the first time he has revealed a slightly surly approach. When I said do you want to come along he enthusiastically said yes. Well but it's actually, just so the reason I was enthusiastic about that is uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the value of diversity. Yeah. And I have been espousing both creating diverse teams, but also as individuals, the idea of stretching yourself and doing things that are outside your comfort zone and also just doing things that are new and new experiences to build that broader appreciation and being able to look at things with a different perspective. So I have, over the last few years, made more of an effort to take up people's offers of things that I would normally have dismissed out of hand as not something I'm into. So this year I have played Dungeons and Dragons and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I have done airsofting and thoroughly enjoyed it. And both of those things beforehand, I was somewhat sceptical of. And if I'm being honest, a little bit judgy. Well. So while while Gareth is a little bit, as he said himself, judgy, where he sees judgy opportunities, I see some really interesting areas to discuss. So I and, and I don't want to get ahead of us here because I think it's good for us to talk more about sort of your experience. But I, I want to plant a seed for the people listening. I live in an environment and the product world and the tech world and world of modern leaders the phrase you should hire A players is one that is used all the time. Actually, it's one of those phrases that makes me slightly nervous. Now, don't get me wrong. The statement that says when you are hiring team members, you should do your best to find high performers that are going to add 
big, massive value to the team. Completely agree with that. But what I've realized over the years is there's a lot of people who seem to be the people that shout, own A players, A players, where are our A players? I realized they were missing a piece of that sentence, which is you fight with the army you've got, not with the army you want. So what does that mean in my business world? When I start in a new role, and I've done that on a number of times over the last few years, you start with the team you've got. And the team you've got invariably has A players. That's fantastic. And hopefully lots of nearly A players and B players, but you you have this variety. And so while I, I almost think it's a bit of a cheat to say, uh, hire the A players. Actually, why do we not talk about you fight with the people you've got? I don't have the, the on day one in my role, day, day month one, month two, month three, I don't have the luxury of saying, get rid of all the not A players. Mm. I have to go with what I've got. And I thought, one of the things that's really interesting about the Airsoft group is if ever there was a bell curve of yeah, anyone absolutely. you might work with, there it is. And so now you put them into the situation. I mean, the, the, the Airsoft world, you know, we, we, you, can, you can almost see sort of the, 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 the loving smile on our face of people who want to sort of go and run around with guns. But flip that around and say, imagine that a random bell curve of people every week who most of them don't know each other, perhaps small groups that do. And all of a sudden at nine o'clock, you half over there are the red team and you half over there are the blue team. And now they're told to solve problems or as it's called in the game, play a game, <laughs> take the flag or whatever. Assault. Assault. But that, I think that's, that's a really interesting angle, which is how do you, how do you take the people you've got and how do you make them effective? And by the way, before this sounds like either myself or Gareth stood up on a, on a tall boulder and said, follow, follow us. Yeah, yeah. We didn't do that. We were in the back shouting pew, 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 like everyone else. Yeah. Do badly. Anyway, that, I wanted to plant that seed. Maybe it went a bit deeper than I meant. But Gareth, tell us more about your experience. What did you expect and what did you get? I think, like you said, there was a bell curve of people and I probably expected there to be far more wannabes people who think they know what it is to professionally soldier and yet haven't got a clue and the reality was I didn't meet a single person I, like that not a single person and I I had to really self-reflect and I was the person who approached with the bad attitude and, and was judgy and actually everybody I came across they, they fell into three categories I think I think there were people like you and me that turned up for a new experience and a bit of fun there were people who take it very seriously as a sport or an activity and want to win and they have developed a particular skill set that is unrelated to the skill set of actually soldiering but very very focused on winning an airsoft competition and then there was the final group of people who take the whole experience very seriously and they're not too worried about winning they're not too worried about tactics but they enjoy the camaraderie they enjoy talking about pieces of equipment they enjoy looking the part and i found it very refreshing and i was i was sort of expecting there to be at least a couple of walter mitty characters talking about what they've done and where they've been and what units they've been with. And I didn't come across that at all. So I 
came away from it feeling a little bit sheepish that I'd potentially judged, well, I, I, not even potentially, I had judged a whole community and a whole activity before I got there. So I feel slightly uh, embarrassed by that, but also I did go along and, and experience it and, and have learned. So I suppose that that is a good thing. Yeah, um, and I think that the community is the thing that stands out. So we, we were very lucky before I took my son airsofting, we did a bit of research and, and I'm gonna call out the airsoft. So there's an organization called Rift Airsoft um, they've got three locations uh, around Oxfordshire and wherever was west of us, but there's Banbury, Abingdon and one Andover, I think. But the reason why I called them out was because they were universally called out as a really friendly place. And as I say, with my 12 year old and my 15 year old, they could not have been more welcome. And I actually was quite nervous about this. You know, there's there's your next lesson, particularly for my 12 year old, who this is a group of adults doing adult thing. And actually, the secret was you have to empower them and say, it's OK, give it a go. And yeah. you will have learned from that. But really, really lovely, lovely bunch. And if ever you want to experience this, I, I, I don't hesitate to, to recommend Rift Airsoft. There was something that struck us on the day. So we've, we've talked about people on the bell curve. We've talked about people who are, for want of a better word, amateur soldiers. Bad phrase, but I'll, I'll stick with it. But actually, we were impressed. Do you want to talk about the briefing and why we thought the briefing was so good? The whole feel of the day was it's all about just having a good time, enjoying yourself, enjoying other people's company and not taking it too seriously. And they got the tone exactly right. And I, I want to you know, emphasise what you said about Rift as, as being a very welcoming company and very, very professional they they managed to keep it light they managed to during the brief emphasize the fact that we're all there to have fun that it's not a particularly serious thing and yet recognize and emphasize the the safety aspect without being condescending or preaching and i thought the the professionalism of some quite young guys taking hold of 100 people. people dressed as Everything from there was a, a Vietnam infantryman with a, a Mark One M16 all the way through to guys who looked like they just jumped off a US Blackhawk in the middle of the night. And they, yeah, they got the tone really, really right. And they built the sense of anticipation and the sense of competition without making it into a we're going to hurt the opposition or, and, and, and so everybody went into the games which are competitive of course and it is a contact sport it hurts to an extent it's physical but everybody went in with the right attitude and there's a huge aspect of airsoft which i had not appreciated at all which i've come away from really respecting which is the whole thing only works with integrity it, it, the, the, so and i'm going to get this wrong um, but I think it was Tony who runs the site and Tony stood up. And I want to, again, rather than this just being a, a ramble about what we did on our weekend. So Tony was the, he's the site manager. He ran the whole thing just to emphasize on what he did in terms of this briefing. So a hundred people who are shuffling around, who don't know each other, who are there, who really want to run around and play airsoft. The first thing was presence. He stood up. Mm. He stood on a on a on a large sort of 
little shack so he could see everyone. He looked everyone in the eye. He talked clearly and loudly. He was credible. He was clear. Number one is safety. Absolutely safety. And he was very clear around what would happen, why it would happen, where it would happen. And number two was this sense of fun. And it was great to say it was, it was effectively this sport is all around sportsmanship. If someone decides they're not going to participate by those rules, they will leave immediately. And you could tell everyone was there going like, OK, yeah. these are the rules. If you look around you, wherever you are, whatever you do, you will spot these really, really good leaders. So we played the first game. So we split red and blue. The whistle blows. We all run out. Everyone's got their airsoft rifles. In, in a previous episode, we talked about anti-piracy, assaulting a ship, sniper overwatch, SOPs. How organized was the whole approach to capturing the flag? It wasn't. It was chaos. Um, and that was brilliant. So I went into the first game with a sense of I am going to be being watched, particularly by you and your sons, as a professional in, in this sort of thing. Very aware that, very much like when I play Call of Duty, I'm utterly terrible at these things. <laughs> and I don't meet the expectation of a Royal Marine Commando. But the reality was that it's, it's a game. It doesn't play out the same way that tactics plays out in combat there are so many things that are but why doesn't it so i think there's a very specific reason so why it doesn't play out like combat tactics i, I think there's a couple sorry yeah go, go go you go for yours so i think firstly there there were no leaders that were appointed there you go or recognized as leaders secondly everybody had their own agenda and their own objective and people ran off in every direction to do that and thirdly the the way the game mechanics work in terms of when you get shot, you put your hand in the air and say, I've been shot, you go to the respawn area and then you come back into play, which means there's this constant cycle of individuals coming back in rather than teams reinforcing. So the idea of any kind of fire manoeuvre or anything close to resembling the reality of tactics was you know, shattered within the first 30 seconds of, of me playing uh, or any illusion of that was gone. And I, I despite sort of, some unnamed Royal Marine shouting at his friends who had come with him, come on, fire and maneuver. <laughs> it was amazing. They didn't do it. I was but, absolutely trying to but, at the beginning. But I think, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're joking and, and I hope we're not stretching the point, but that again is another thing. It's a hundred people. Mm. There's no designated leader. There's no guidebook. There's no SOPs. There's no previous practice. And, and what I observed, and I think I've been now a couple of times, I think is quite common is everyone runs towards the thing that they're trying to get to. And the first person there or the first person near there starts firing. And then what often will happen is everyone else stands behind a tree and tries not to get shot. Yeah. So a very, frankly, reasonable and natural process because it stings a bit to get shot. But that if you don't have a team, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a leader, people will, for want of a better word, mill around. Mm. And the, again, just to get back to what this podcast is all about, has anyone listening to this podcast ever been in a situation where something has gone wrong and there is no designated leader? And oh, look, everyone's 
milling around a bit. Now, that might not always be true. Sometimes, and I think this is the point we're making, is with high-performing teams, what you'll get is people who have practiced. And so even if there isn't a leader, someone will naturally step forward. But I thought that was really, really interesting. We, we talked about this as we were driving back from the site yesterday, which is what would happen if you had a group of people who acted that way? So, and I mean, I, I don't know what, whether you've had time to reflect on this, but imagine that 10 people got together and assumed broadly military tactics would that significantly change things? I think it would. I think it would actually be decisive. I think we saw that a little bit yesterday. We were on the red team, and the red team consistently throughout the day did poorly. Oh, very poorly, I think. Very the poorly. The blue team were, were better. And it's interesting, because as you say, they are a random group of people. The difference is within the blue team, there was a subgroup of players that knew each other they ran on a different airsoft site, so they were professional airsofters. Yeah, yeah. And I think that gave them that ability. They, they knew each other. They could act as a cohesive unit. And like you say, where we didn't have that, people ran forward, got engaged, stopped, either got killed or got into cover, and then everybody else just got into cover. And then what was analogous to real firefights was that if you don't maintain the momentum, if you don't continually suppress and move, then you end up stalling and then nobody knows what to do. And it's really difficult to regain that momentum. I, I said I've done paintballing before. I was, when I was doing the counterparty work, we were invited to go and play a game of paintballing while we were in Oman. And we all agreed, um, my team, so there was 10 Royal Marines, including myself, and we all agreed we would go and join in. And when we got to the paintball site, I can't remember quite how the decision was made, but somebody in the Navy team had already predetermined that it was going to be all of the people from the Navy, from, from the ship we were on, against the Royal Marines. And there was probably about 40 sailors and NCOs and officers from, from the, the ship's company against 10 Royal Marines. And again, I had that apprehension of there's an expectation that we're going to do really well, but actually we're outnumbered four to one, and this could be slightly embarrassing. And the reality was, because this was something similar to what we had trained to do day in, day out, and by this point, we were a very, very cohesive team, Actually, we wiped the floor with them. And I don't think that was because we were naturally better. I think it was because we were better because we trained and worked together and had that shared consciousness that I've talked about before and that you know how other people are very likely to react in a situation and therefore you can apply drills within the context of the operating environment. And in this case, a rocky bit of desert in Oman. And it was, it was absolutely decisive. I think bringing it back to the, the business world and how teams and leaders work, I think there is definitely lessons to be learned. I, I agree with you. I think you can over-egg over this a little bit. But there is definitely something about having a very, very clear 
goal that everybody agrees to and then having people during the execution of that so during the gameplay of the airsoft or the paintball managing and leading that group doing it what was interesting about airsoft yesterday was there were people with different roles because airsoft is about the kit and equipment and, and people invest their own money on buying weapons and their uniforms and some people had made ghillie suits and a ghillie suit for those who, who are listening that don't know is the the suit that a sniper would wear to look like a bush so it's covered in fake foliage and, and stuff so you look like a, a human walking bush and there was a few of those and they had longer range weapons that were slightly more powerful um, there were people who had kitted themselves out as assault teams and they had short range weapons and the right equipment and so people naturally fell into these roles where you did see people working together, it did change the dynamic. But where it didn't, it, what it wasn't was somebody just standing up and saying, right, I'm going to take command, I'm the leader. Because that often happened, and somebody said, follow me, and ran forward, no one followed. and no one followed. I think we should stop now for a quick break, and then we will continue to see how much we can stretch our comparison of a game of airsoft to the business and the military world. So we'll be back in a second. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. Well, look, we were talking about Airsoft and how much we enjoyed it, but because we, are, I suspect we're wired like this, we then spent an hour on the way home talking about how that related to leadership and business. We, we talked about the fact just now before we went away on the break that people were, in inverted commas, naturally organising themselves. There were the snipers, there was the assault team, there were the guys with the heavy machine guns that would sit, all that kind of thing. But I think I like that as an idea of you've again, you've just described most teams where most people have a role. I'm a software engineer. I'm a developer. I'm a tester. Yeah. And so I think that that was an interesting parallel. You can have these different roles, but again, it's without the organization leadership that does it. But I, I wanted to touch on a different thing, because one of the things that that was really, really important in a in a game of Airsoft is communication. Yeah. And as we will continue for another 25 minutes or so to over egg this point, actually, I think it's a really good thing to talk about. And I'm going to start by I'm hoping that in the end, nobody listens to our podcast because I'd be very embarrassed if then someone who we'd met goes, wait a minute, are they talking about me? I had a marvelous moment, not yesterday, but in the previous game that I played where we were in mid game and someone who was clearly enjoying the theatrics of this who was in full regalia, I think he was a sniper. Um, he had an earpiece, so we had a radio to talk to his friends. And he came bounding up, having been regenerated after being shot. And he turns to someone who clearly didn't know, and he looked at him and in his best Tom Cruise voice said, talk to me. And the guy looked at him and you could see there was this look on his face of, huh? And so there was this moment of, what are you talking about? And he thought, I'm gonna give it again. He says, talk to me. Bloke Fenton said, I've no idea what you're asking. And then he said, where are the people shooting at us? Oh, they're over there in that window. So that that's that. Well, first of all, that amused me. I quite enjoyed that. The, the not getting the communication right. But actually, it's a super, super important thing. And you would say, how hard could communication in Airsoft be? People with guns over there firing at us. What more do you need to know? But I think... And in all the roles I've had previously, 
something people get consistently wrong is communication. I mean, frankly, the really simple and basic stuff. Mm. When you make an assumption, you're in a hurry, you're in a stressful situation, and you make an assumption. So when the guy said, talk to me, as much as I found that amusing, and I still find that amusing, actually, what he really means is there are a number of people that I play this game with that when I say talk to me, they know exactly what I mean. They know I mean, where are the people? Where are the people with the long range weapons? Where should I go? Where should I not go? All that kind of stuff. But actually, we have to be really, really careful. And so, you know, you, you could be jogging along and all of a sudden you get shot before you're even in an interesting place to play the game. And that's because someone didn't tell you there's a guy over 45 degrees away that you can't see. So yeah. it's almost you assume in airsoft you can see the guy in front of you who's trying to shoot you. Of course, the problem in airsoft is you can see the guy in front of you so you can hide behind a tree. But it's the guy who's to the left of you and engaging with the people sort of. 50 meters to the left of you, who's probably going to kill you. So I thought the communication, and you saw the people who worked well with each other, the guys with the radios. I mean, mm. again, I, I sort of smiled and thought that's quite serious to have radios, but but actually that's a really serious point. They can say, wherever they are on the, on the field, where are you? We're doing this, come help us. Yeah. There's a guy over there. Can you see over there? Like a sniper who would typically stand back in the game can still communicate with the people up front saying, don't go around the corner. There's a guy waiting for you. It's a really interesting point and a very important point. It's something that, as you say, people think is going to be really simple and it turns out to be the first stumbling block. And I think it doesn't matter whether you're trying to do target indication of sniper in a bush 200 metres away or whether you're trying to work through a project deadline, the way you communicate is really important and often underappreciated in the commercial world. In the, in the military world, for that exact situation, target indication, we have a, a, a format that we follow. So rather than just, he's over there, can't you see him, or he's in the window, you first of all who are you talking to so which group of people are you telling because when you're shouting to a group of people it really matters where they are from their perspective as to where you're pointing out so the first thing is who are you talking to then it's the range so everybody knows where in that field of view to start looking and then it's the indication then it's bring them onto the target so it's two fingers left of prominent tree that's one fifth right of the only house or whatever it is. And then it's the order. So what, what are you going to do about it? And it's you know, normally a, a type of fire. So rapid fire or suppression, suppression or gun group or, or whatever. Really simple thing that in a high stress situation falls apart very, very quickly is brought back once again by having a drill. And I think, again, wanting to over-egg this or, or try and... I think we're out. past that now. I think we've gone <laughs> yeah, quite into quite. the over-egg zone, but that's okay. Keep going. I'm not suggesting for a minute that we need, you know, a way of communicating within the office on how to do photocopying. Or, well, no, but I... But I, it is those simple things. Well, I, I disagree because I think we, every business has that language because when you you talked about how the military does it all you're saying is there is a particular 
syntax or a particular yeah. language that everyone understands yeah. i have exactly the same thing you know um we run sprints and scrum and we look at story points we have that language if you look at uh teams that are running tech support it's not just the language but how you apply it this is a p1 this is a p2 this is a p3 p1 means jump on it everyone stop what they're doing it institutes an sop now that that's not a very interesting observation per se that we all have language that we use to facilitate the communication but the bit i think is interesting is how often do we take that language for granted so yeah specifically uh, you know regular cases we'll have in businesses i've worked at where someone says well this is a p1 a priority one so it's a way of discussing how significant an issue might be so a p1 might be a customer cannot use the software and their business is not able to function and a p3 might be you know there's a there's a spelling mistake in the software it might be but what i've often found is does everyone understand what has to happen in a p1 oh oh i didn't realize i had to call that person or i had to do that thing or you called it a P1. Why did you call that a P1? Well, this is an important customer. So no, 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 no. You don't understand. A P1 has a very specific meaning. So the, the world of Airsoft with sort of its lack of language and its ability to try and succeed with a few pockets of people who know is not as far away as we might think from whether it's the military. And many people who've worked with me get a little bit bored of this, but language is so important the, the misspoken word and all of a sudden you've wasted a week because people misunderstood what you wanted and going back to we talked about the briefing which was was genuinely very very impressive there is an example of someone who used a small number of words to communicate very very clear yep. information about a complex topic and so these kinds of things matter and i think all of this for me around sort of this topic of communication is don't take it for granted. It's the people who take it for granted. We're all good at this. We all know what we're doing. It's all fine. No, don't mistake familiarity with an ability to communicate. I think that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah, the, the familiarity of the language doesn't necessarily mean you've got good communication, even when it seems really simple and it seems like you can probably skip the bullshit. But the reality is when you start making those assumptions when you start well we'll we won't bother with that because it's a waste of time or we can cut a corner those those things compound and that's where those communication errors are are created and that's where i've been working recently with the creative industry so they'll get a brief from a client and there's a lack of communication between the the project manager or the director that receives the brief that he's engaging with the client that understands what they're trying to get after or thinks they do and then how they communicate that to the creatives and they're trying to turn that into the product the advert the music the, the whatever it is that they, they're doing and what gets lost is all of the important things like the timings mm. the cost restrictions the things, the limits that they of things they can't do, um, the things that have explicitly been counted out from that creative pro project, and because there isn't a very clear process, what you end up with then is a constant 
building of tension because as things go wrong people blame each other the creatives get blamed because they've done the wrong thing and they were quite clearly brief the creatives are feeling slightly hard done by because the director wasn't terribly clear about what they couldn't do or what the limits were and and then you end up with these when you break it down when you do the post-mortem really clear failings of communication where a really simple thing just wasn't passed on or they don't use common language so an interpretation of something led to what compounds and becomes a a very um, a very costly mistake or a very stressful mistake and it's often having to do it again at the last minute that creates the pressure in these projects so we talked about communication there was another thing that sort of occurred to me which is another challenge and we've I think we're in a souffle at the moment as we've over-egged it so much but (laughs) so one of the things that I think is really interesting is we talked about in the in this airsoft game often there were small groups of people who did understand each other and know each other and so there's a point here which sort of just goes a little bit back to the communication thing which is what you find is when people who are familiar with one another, so they have a strong, you know, lots of experience working with one another, they are economical with their words because they know what the other person means. They know what they're going to say. And I, I've heard this in, in businesses. This is sort of one of my, the fallacies that I, I've sort of come across, which is the statement goes like this. I'm really disappointed. When we were a startup and there was five of us, we got things done really quickly. And now we're a company where there's 100 or 200 of us. It's glacial. This is terrible. They're all idiots. They need to be more agile. If only they could be more startup. And taking that to pieces, here's another way of saying that phrase. When there were four or five of us, we could sit around a table. We knew each other very well. Each and every one of us knew everything about the business. And therefore, we were a very effective an efficient team and we were highly motivated but now we're a team of 100 or 200 people who don't sit next to each other who are in different rooms different offices have different context have different commitment have different levels all of a sudden when you add that complexity things start to slow down not because people are bad but because there is an inertia at size so going back mm. to sort of the airsoft was Yeah, there's lots of little groups of people who say, we know what to do, we can run forward and we can catch this flag. But one of the challenges that sort of reveals itself, if, you know, as as I'm sure Gareth secretly wanted to do, is to to push Tony off the thing and say, I'm Gareth and I'm going to lead this team to victory. Actually, how do you do that at scale? And so I think that's that's another aspect of things that said, even if we wanted to try and be leaders and lead all of a sudden when it's five people you can look them in the eye and say this is my experience this is why you should listen this is why you should follow me but of course in every business whether it be business or the military you don't have that ability anymore you know the guy at the back probably doesn't see the guy at the front can't see the guy at the front firing his airsoft rifle so how do you well, let, let's talk about how the military thinks about this. How do you think about that managing at scale? So I was struck yesterday by the amount of blue on blues. 
to the amount of people that would push forward onto a position and then suddenly find they were being fired at from a flank from their own people because they didn't realise that we've got that far forward. And this comes down to this idea of small teams starting to work together, but the big team still isn't working as a whole. And so there's several small teams now working independently and sometimes at cross purposes. And it's about the communication. It's about having that holistic view of what's going on, which is why your point about radios is really important. If we had had somebody or a group of people that were a step behind but had radio communication across that battlefront, then there would have been an ability to say, they're pushing ahead on this side to just be aware on your right hand side you've got friendly forces or they are pushing into that leaning edge of that building so as they come out that those are friendly forces but of course that didn't happen and what you ended up with was Ran- randomness. randomness randomness so even if small teams were starting to cohere because i'm standing next to or lying next to somebody we've had a bit of a conversation we've come up with a small plan so three or four of us are starting to do something it still doesn't have any relevance to what the same red players are doing 100 meters away it's such a, it's such an important concept I, I i've become as i get a little bit a bit, bit frustrated when I when I hear this, which is when we were smaller, we were faster, and yes. somehow because we are bigger, that is bad. I think the right answer is because we are bigger, we are different, yes. and we need to adapt appropriately to do it. And and the I'm I'm going to go back to the egg again. Actually, arguably, for us to be more successful, someone would have had to notionally put their rifle down and say the value is not me firing my my little bb guns at the enemy my value is to say what are you doing over there what are you doing over there yeah. and so actually there is this real sense of i've seen this with businesses in fact this was this was as i've sort of interviewed and spoken to different companies over the years i've sort of said to people you do realize that now you've got 300 people you're not the company you were when you were 50 people and they say yes we get them i say well hang on a minute but I think there's a nuance there that says you've actually been eight different companies because as you have grown, those needs have changed. And often what you find is the changes, sort of the delta in the day-to-day are so subtle, it's very difficult to say stop. Something that worked yesterday is no longer the thing that works today. And, yeah. and companies work this out. Companies start to say that doesn't work. And you hear all the sort of the, the magic words like we've been talking about this for years, which is one of those great phrases. And you think, I don't know how I'm supposed to react to that. Yes, you have talked about it for years, but by implication, it wasn't important enough until this point to do something about it. That's fine. I don't yeah. think talking about it for years is a bad thing unless you should have said, but, but that reflects that idea about this evolution where if we were playing airsoft three against three, one set of tactics, 10 against 10, another set of tactics, then 50 against 50, another set. I I also just want to say at this point, this is very, very important. I think we're successfully sucking all the fun out of airsoft. (laughs) Bearing bearing in mind, I ran around and and in, in airsoft terms, ran around shouting pew, 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 hiding behind trees that were half the size of me and then acting surprised when someone shot me because 
my my large body was sticking out on either side of the tree. So airsoft is much better than we're making out, making out for it. And in terms of how you go about it, um, it's it's not as serious as you might expect. But I would recommend. So for, for people who have not done airsoft, I'm not necessarily saying you should all go out and take out take up airsoft. But I think there is there is a real value if this is important to you to sort of look around in these day-to-day -day activities. You, you, you go to your kid's school and you watch teachers and you watch other children. You say, well, how's that working? Well, look at those problems. I think sometimes when you step outside of the business world and you look at these other areas, it can be particularly helpful for you to start to think about how that applies in your business world because it sort of takes away the familiar cues that almost are a bias to us and we go back and say, well, this is ridiculous. There's no leader here. Well, wait, hang on a minute. I've seen this before. I've been there. And I agree with you. We are probably taking the fun out of it. And I certainly wasn't running around yesterday thinking about the analogies Were you not? to the business world. That must make me a bad person then. You asked me a moment ago about how the military handles the larger teams. And I think the answer is really simple. We have hierarchies all the way down to the smallest element in the military is a what we call a, a fighting pair. It's two people who are connected by the fact that they rely on each other. And then two fighting pairs, a fire team. And you've got two pairs of people that both pairs rely on each other. And then you've got two fire teams and a section. So each fire team now relies on the other and then there are three sections in a platoon or a troop and then there are three troops in a company or a squadron and then there are four or five companies in a battle group etc et 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 yeah. and what that does is it gives you the ability to manage your problem your very tactical problem whilst other people are starting to cohere the activity of multiple tactical teams what often gets thrown out especially i think when startups are growing is this idea of we don't need to do that that's overly bureaucratic yeah. overly prescriptive i want a flat structure i want to empower my people and we've talked a lot about empowerment on these podcasts and it's really really important but also what is vitally important is organization and you can only empower people if there is a common objective if there is coherence across the team and so the brilliant book around this, I think, is Stan McChrystal's Team of Teams, where he talks about how you take hierarchical organisations and make them agile and adaptive without just getting rid of all the rules and how you can manage to maintain coherence of a large organisation, giving them the independence and the empowerment without taking away that structure that holds it all together. Well, I think you have perfectly tailored what was a casual conversation about Airsoft, because what I want to talk about in a future episode is my world, which is software development, Scrum, Agile, and self-organizing teams, because I think that's a fabulous segue into that where there are some people who think the term self-organizing teams mean do whatever you need to do to make teams successful. And I think there's a bit more to it. So I hope you didn't mind that segue today for us where we, we, we sort of 
had a huge amount of fun. My kids certainly had some fun and also slept very well because apparently running around for eight hours does that. But also just that, that there's always these sort of, there are always these opportunities to reflect what we do and how we do it, whether it's looking at someone give a fantastic briefing, whether it's looking at why we as the red team failed spectacularly and what could we have done differently. So, I, Or your preconceived ideas about things. Yeah. And of course, you know, this is how this conversation all started was my preconceptions as a Royal Marine of wannabes and Walter Mitties and amateurs who don't know what they're doing and I've come away from this with a deep level of respect and I think if you look at airsoft in isolation to the military it's a separate thing it's a separate activity it is wholesome active gets people together so it's it creates friendships and it's a bonding opportunity it's really really good natured the reliance on integrity because you don't leave a patch of paint when you get shot you have to stand up and say i've been hit and everybody did everything about it is really really positive and i've come away having gone into it saying i want to try a new experience i've i've surprised myself at how much i've taken away from something that only a few weeks ago i secretly probably look down the end of my nose a little bit and if you think i'm going to let gareth get away with a very serious and respectful way to end this then you've got another thing coming so the first game so we played four games the first game clearly gareth was figuring out which way was up and we were all going together the second game the same uh I, i'm perhaps a little bit older than gareth and by the third and fourth games i was slowing down and so by the fourth game like many of the airsofters, like us, like us older fellas on the bell curve, we were slowing down. Oh my word, you, I saw in front of me a 20 year old excited for running around. He had mud all over his face. This is Gareth, by the way, just to be clear, before I think I'm talking about one of my kids. And he was regaling us with stories of how he'd run, shot four people in the back before suffering a hero's death at the hand of one of the airsofters so a huge amount of fun um honestly was had by all well absolutely that's about all for this episode um thanks for joining us uh this week sponsored by airsoft and um please do look up rift airsoft uh they're on the internet and we were very very pleased to be hosted by them yesterday um if you like what you've heard um please tell your friends it'd be quite depressing if we were the only people listening to this, talking to each other. Um, we'd love to have you join the conversation with your stories or ideas, and perhaps most of all your suggestions for topics. So how can you get hold of us? Uh, you can follow us, uh, suggest a future topic or ask us a question on our Twitter handle, which is battling with biz, and that is biz with a Z. Uh, but for now though, on a noisy evening at a secret Oxfordshire airbase with helicopters flying all around us, uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you.